Munich, you got one more in you. You got one more in you. All right, I want to hear you guys help me sing this song. Mr. Tishy. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Gary. It's all yours. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another kick-ass edition of the Mojo Radio Show. <laughs> Have you got one more in you? Have you got one more Mojo Radio Show in you? That was our friend John Karabi and the boys, the band, the Dead Daisies. And uh, you're probably wondering, why do we open with that piece of live album? For the daisies, Robbo, fill us in. I'm so hanging to open this. The mail arrived during the week and there was a massive parcel in there that came from the band. Uh, it turns out that it's a limited edition box set. Now, this thing is one of only about 100 in existence and that will ever exist. It's worth about 150 bucks. It's got a stack of vinyl, CD, DVDs, stickers, badges, you name it, all in one box. Can I point out a personal highlight that I'm hanging to hear? There's a little EP in there that contains four tracks the guys recorded live at Planet Rock in Hollywood. On it is four songs that they've covered. My Generation, American Band, Maggie May, and get this one, can you imagine the Dead Daisies doing a bit of Zeppelin? Ramble on. How cool would that be? So this has got CDs, it's got vinyl, and it's a whole bunch of limited edition DVDs stuff, and videos. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. You name it. It's in a massive big box. And as I said, one of only a hundred or so in existence and that will ever exist. So we, it's interesting, folks. The reason we tell you this story is because the band sent it to us and said for us to give it away to our listeners. And of course, we went down the traditional things of leave a review or put it, give, give us a like or go onto Facebook. And we thought, well, maybe, maybe we're looking at this in the wrong way. Perhaps we're asking the wrong question. And that took us back to the first week of Rocktober last year and to our good mate from Caveman Coffee, Tate Fletcher. There's a kid that uh, works with us at the warehouse here in Albuquerque um, packing coffee and he was asking about, you know, what's another way I could get another job or whatever? Like, what's another way I could make some more money if you know anybody else that's looking? And I go, huh, I go, let me think about that. And then I came back to him an hour later because I'm trying to be careful about not giving answers quickly because I, I, I don't know. So I try to like let it sit and meditate on it a little bit and see if something else comes. And, and I went back, I said, you know, I think you're asking me the wrong question, Eric. I think maybe the question is, how can you be more useful? Uh, not where could I get more money? I think that's the wrong question. I think the question is, the more useful I am to the universe, the more the universe has for me to do work-wise. I can taste the caveman coffee right now. <laughs> I could do with a I could do with a drop of caveman coffee with yeah. MCT. They got a brand new MCT oil as well, which I haven't tried yet. Pretty sensational. But where are we going with this? We thought, well, we're asking the wrong question. The real question should be, who can we help with this pack? So here's the deal, folks. All you need to do is email us. Our email address is info at themojoradioshow.com. Tell us somebody that you think needs to get their mojo working. It could be someone who's lost their mojo. And this pack would mean the world to them. At our expense, we will mail this pack to them as a surprise from you. All you need to do is tell us who can we help. Who can we help get their mojo working and why? And we will jetpack this thing to whoever that person is on behalf of the Mojo Radio Show and our good mates at The Dead Days. We got a love 
guys sound fucking great. Thank you. Hey, guys, this is John Karabi from the Dead Daisies on Mojo Radio. Turn it up, kids. See you soon. From uh, a little bit of rock and roll to a little bit of futurism. Yeah, this is an interesting topic. I, I came across the work of Liz Alexander just recently through social media and I just thought it was a good topic for us to delve into on the show in a business sense, but also it's, it's more of a thinking, thinking and innovation sense as well. Liz is a, a writer, a speaker, a consultant and works in all parts of the world helping big business understand what the future looks like and what we should do to prepare for it and or take advantage of it. Liz has got just a great bio of the work that she has done, the people she's working with, the sorts of work she does today. Uh, And interestingly, uh, is based in Austin, Texas, just around the corner from one of my favourite honky-tonks, a place that Willie Nelson frequents often called The Broken Spoke, which to me... elevated her way up the list of potential guests we should have on the show. So I'm delighted to welcome you to the show. Liz, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Well, thank you very much, Gary. Liz, if you bump into somebody at the Broken Spoke and somebody says, hey, Liz, what do you do in a normal day that you control? What do you reply? What do you do? Well, I start off by asking them to imagine if they had no capacity to think about or understand the future. You know, if their only connection to time was the past or present. You know, I point out, well, you wouldn't have any goals because by their very definition, they're future focused and and they'd likely have little or no motivation to change because, you know, if you've got no capacity to imagine what you could be as opposed to what is or what was, then, you know, that motivation's gone out the window. Um, So I point out that, you know, most of us set goals and we understand change But whether we do that in any kind of systematic way, uh, a way that's going to free of bias or limiting beliefs or uh, occurs in advance of a crisis, or or if it's truly long-term future thinking, that's debatable. And and in fact, I saw a study recently, I'm sorry about this, this is an American study, but it was done by the Institute for the Future that found that 53 percent of Americans say they rarely or never think about something that might happen 30 years from today. Now, you might say, and that, that person might say to me at the Broken Spoke, which is somewhere I think I've been once and never <laughs> never went to again. <laughs> um, you can tell, you know, from my accent here, Gary, you know, to me, I'm so embedded in the culture. Um, You know, most of us don't necessarily want to be thinking 30 years hence, but if you're in business, frankly, it's not a bad idea to be looking that far, uh, far out to be able to sort of anticipate, uh, you know, what's coming down the pike. So to answer your question, what futurists like me do are a number of things. I mean, some of them will provide insights, you know, they'll use tools and methodologies to look at possible, probable and preferred futures so that their business clients can prepare themselves uh, to avoid future threats and take advantage of of otherwise unseen opportunities. Um, But others like me 
uh, are more kind of into helping business people think differently. Um, sometimes we use the same tools and methodologies, but we want really to help people have a different relationship to the future. Um, so they've got a different relationship. I'm more sort of confident about uncertainty and change. So, you know, if, if I'm going to use the Ghostbusters thing, you know, overall, we're the ones you're going to call when you think to yourself, you know, what the heck is happening in the world? Um, and how can I not only make sense of it, but how can I position myself and my business for advantage? See, that's where, that's where it comes unstuck for me, Liz, is that I go to these events where a futurist will talk about what's likely to happen or what the big trends are. And I was at a lunch just recently and a guy spoke 15 or 20 minutes and showed a whole bunch of slides of his Uber's flying cars and here's what Elon Musk wants to do in terms of our transportation system under the ground. We travel at 250 kilometres an hour. Here's what's happening in this. Here's an idea that's happening here. And I guarantee that most leaders stood there, shook their head and went, wow, it's amazing. That's amazing what's going on. And they went back and buried themselves in meetings and their screen and get back to status quo. What, what I'm intrigued by is I understand now having spoken to you and heard you answer that question of what it does. I would believe that most leaders, most business people acknowledge it, but then ignore it. Why, why is that the case? <laughs> That's fantastic. And that's a terrific question. I, I was interested to see where you were going with that question. Because <laughs> yeah, so was I. I. <laughs> where I thought you were going, um, and, and, and I take this, you know, very much on the chin because I think it's a big problem with, with my field in that you get all these people making predictions about, you know, what the next 10, 15 years are going to be like. And, and it's like, yeah, right. I mean, what happened to the paperless office? You know, we've been talking about the paperless office since 1960. And I bet you, I bet you, you know, I don't know how many dollars, uh, neither your office nor mine office nor most of our listeners' offices are paperless. So, you know, I think there's a I think I think the futurist uh, kind of field shoots itself in the foot with all these kind of predicting people, uh, you know what I mean, who buy in, frankly, to the um, to the ideology of many of these businesses and many of these technologists who want us to believe that you know we're all going to be in flying cars and doing all this in five years' time. You know, I was listening to. Uh, somebody in Silicon Valley banging on about, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right. Um, but anyway, to, to get back to your other question is why why do people not pay attention to this? One, I think it's because the field very often presents these futuristic uh, scenarios where we think, well, all the things that were predicted back in the 50s haven't come true, so I think we're safe for the moment. <laughs> Um, but I, I think the other thing is with regard to the way we've seen businesses shoot themselves in the foot in the past uh, by not at least bearing in mind alternative possibilities. So, I mean, if you take Polaroid, for example, take Polaroids as a great example. You know, there was a business that back in the, well, for many, many years was, you know, 
ahead of its field um, and and then I think it was in something like 2001 filed for bankruptcy. Now, you know, it was a hugely innovative uh, company and held a lot of monopolies and I think sometimes people think they're untouchable because of that. And I think it's one of the problems with top management thinking. They have assumptions that just because the market's been a certain way and just because they've been successful, they assume they will always be successful and things won't change that much. So that when things do come out of left field or they just don't leverage the technology they've got, which is what Polaroid did, that's when they get screwed, basically. You, you just talked about stuff happening back in the 50s that may not have happened, yet I've heard you discuss the fact that even three or four decades ago people were predicting what we're dealing with today in terms of distraction and terrorism. And you've said that the future has a foot in the past and the present, how do I capitalize on that? And I, I guess what I'm looking for is the gap between philosophically, here's, here are the trends, here's what's likely to happen in the future, and here's kind of the stuff that's being done. And we can learn these things from the past, but we have a foot in the present as well. How do I action these things, Liz? I think where I'm missing is what are the actions that a great leader today, either a self-employed person who's preparing, and or someone who runs a company with a thousand employees, what are the actions that a leader can take to have an understanding of the foot in the past, foot in the present? And I'm seeing these things that you're presenting and talking to me about. What do I do? Well, I think one of the things to you know, see so much of it. To be honest with you, is is challenging one's assumptions. So I suppose one of the practical things one could do would be to surround oneself with people that do think differently and are going to bring a different perspective. You're right, the the, you know, the present and the future always has a foothold in the past. So we can see how trends begin to unfold. The other thing that really connects us to the past is our human psychology. And I think that's one of the areas that very often will overlook when it comes to what is the future going to be like. You know what I mean? Our sort of emotional connection uh, to, to one another. So I don't necessarily feel that the whole gig working economy is going to, you know what I mean, that we're all going to be little individuals working in our pajamas in our bedrooms, uh, you know what I mean, and not want to have somewhere to, to, to come. But I think another, another thing that I find that business leaders tend not to do is to not only sort of challenge their own assumptions or have people that challenge their assumptions, uh, but, but also look at a range of possibilities, you know, because so many of them have got where they are because they're smart people and they make, you know, you know, they're visionaries and what have you. But they tend over time to get very mired into certain biases or certain assumptions about how things are. And I think that can really scupper folks in not being creative enough in looking at, as I said, you know, plausible futures, possible futures, preferred futures. As a whole set, you know, the thing about the future is it's not fixed and it's not singular. Um, and so to think in, in a certain way of the future is going to be like this is, is fallacious thinking and I think it's very dangerous. So I think there's many 
um, you know, activities, many creative things that uh, that businesses and leaders can do to make sure that they've got a full range of of possibilities. And the implications that will come or the consequences that will come from the actions that they're taking today. Gold, Robert. That's gold. gold. Absolute gold. And I love that word fallacious. I'm going to fallacious. use, I'm going to find, I'm going to make it my mission for the next week to find at least one sentence a day to use that word in. Well, what you should do first of all is work out what it means <laughs> and then how to spell it <laughs> and then write it out a hundred times on a blackboard like Bart Simpson. Then you have okay. permission to use it. Thank you. Liz, you have said the future is oversold and underimagined. Can you run yeah. that for me? What, what, what's the intention behind that? The intention behind that, and that's not something that I said. This was something, something that the CEO of Arup, which is a, a sort of a, a global consulting, uh, a consulting firm. I think they're headquartered either in London or San Francisco. So the oversold thing, I think, speaks to what I was saying earlier, that there is a lot of ideology that comes out of places like Silicon Valley, where we're listening to Elon Musk where we're listening to uh, these venture capitalists and, you know, the things that um, Google and <clears throat> all these other technology companies are doing. And, and we will believe that what they say is going to come true. Well, they've got a vested interest in it. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're in the business of, of building driverless cars, then you have got a vested interest in persuading people that in five years' time, you know, we're all going to be sitting in the back of something that's, uh, that, that, you know, that's automatically uh, driven. Um, the, the, I don't believe that. And that worries the heck out of me that we would pass that, not just responsibility, um, but, but those kinds of futures over to companies that have that vested interest. So that's where the oversold is. You know, when you when you hear these people like, you know, this is what life is going to be like in four, five years, it's like I'm very skeptical about, about that. Uh, but just the, the under-delivered part goes back to what we were saying of not being creative enough and not looking at enough um, sort of, scenarios, I guess, you know, different ways in which the future could play out. So at least strategically, you have a plan in place so that, you know, even if it never happens, that's okay. You would be prepared for those wild cards or those unusual things that happen and uh, and you're not blindsided by them. If we cast our mind to, and I, and I understand self-navigating cars and all the things that are happening out there, which are the, in some cases, sci-fi things that we saw in movies three decades ago, now now starting to be tested. Probably the thing that most of our listeners would be curious about is what's going to happen in the workplace. And with the work you're doing, Liz, do you have a perspective of the future of work, like the workplace and the working careers of people that we should be considering and thinking about and in some cases changing our thinking on like what's what's the typical workplace of the future going to look like yeah i mean that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question isn't it gary um i think the answer to that is you know there's no one size fits all and again we've got to take into account that human psychology i 
was I was speaking to a group of um, commercial real estate investors a few weeks ago because they wanted to know. Um, you know how the future, how future trends and technologies were going to impact their business. And one of the things that we talked about, in addition to you know dri- or, or um, driverless cars and what that's going to mean for parking spaces, was uh, office space, for example, and what the off, you know, what the, the workplace of the future might look like, if indeed it exists. And, and I pointed out there's a place in the called The Edge. And I think it's Deloitte. They either own it or they are the biggest, uh, you know, um, they they lease the biggest space in it. And and so it's kind of remarkable to think that a futuristic workplace is still a physical place. But here's the difference. And here's where I think the trends of populism and, and what we've been seeing through the, you know, the rise of the internet and the fact that we've all got somewhat more control over our lives than we did in the past. Here's where I think the difference lies. That the workplace of the future is going to have to is going to be designed around the way we like to work rather than the previous way where, you know, you get office complexes and we have to adjust the way we like to work to fit the space. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's reversal of that so so what the edge has what Deloitte has at the edge is you know they're able to accommodate I think something like two and a half thousand employees with with rooms and spaces um, for, for considerably less because they appreciate that depending on the work you're doing you don't need to be in an office um, you know the whole thing about hot desking basically that you don't go to the same office every every week which might be empty for half of the you know half of the week if you're out doing sales calls or or what have you um so in addition to being really ecologically superior and sustainable and all the other amazing things that they they do um i think what places like that are bearing in mind is we are very social creatures uh business is built on relationships relationships mean in the whites of people's eyes, but the twist here is to is to create, as I say, environments that support the way that people want to work, and not the way that that you know architects and designers or, or businesses have decided they must work. That's gold. Do you know it's interesting with this, Liz? And I'm I'm going to go. I'll set this up to get your perspective on it. One of the biggest health issues in America right now, I am led to believe, is living in isolation. So they're feeling isolated because, back to your comment, is they need social interaction. And I know a number of digital nomads who do do their work from home or coffee shops or whatever it may be, and they're doing work where they basically pick up their job, they do a job, it's in their own time, under their own conditions, their own steam. And these people are now starting to say, it's kind of good. I've been doing it for a year or two, but I kind of miss the interaction of an office. I'm kind of, I am feeling isolated. So I have an office in Sydney. So it's a nice office, but I don't go there because I'm pretty much traveling or not in coffee shops. So I have rented that out and I'm moving into WeWork. Now WeWork is just like this Deloitte environment, the edge, I suspect. But globally, it's growing very, very quickly. And what's 
interesting about WeWork is not only a place to go to interact with people and it's very relaxed and it's couches and pods and everything else, but the infrastructure they built, this ecosystem within WeWork, which is like a LinkedIn, but they built their own internal infrastructure. is fascinating to share billboards and to communicate and network and so on. Are you seeing this as a global trend, as a futurist? Is this tying in with what you were just talking about, about changing the way that we and or employers see the environment? Oh, absolutely, totally. And I've got a number of examples for you, Gary. See, one of the reasons too is we're realizing that if we want to avoid being automated, you know, we know that artificial intelligence is coming. We know that deep learning is coming. We know that uh, robots, for want of a better word, even though they're not necessarily going to look like Robbie the robot or whatever, uh, you know, are going to take over a number of uh, tasks if yeah. entire jobs, right? Um but the, the, so, so what our responsibility as human beings is to make sure that we do those things that are truly human and the things that cannot be automated. And one of that is creativity and innovation. And, and one of the ways that we know that cre- creativity and innovation comes to the fore is when you have people with different perspectives coming from different fields meeting together to talk and look at the intersection of ideas. And I think that's one of the great strengths in addition to the health, mental health benefits you just talked about. Uh, you know what I mean? That, that we do you know, want to be around other people, but we're all also able to leverage that by saying, instead of separating as the old office system used to do, you know, engineering was on one floor, sales was on another floor, finance was the floor. You know, n- nobody ever meets one another. Things are siloed. Nothing ever changes. And, and there may be a good idea on one floor, but it never percolates up anywhere else because nobody ever get n- n- nobody ever meets. So things like WeWork and some of these other co-working spaces are giving people the opportunity to interact with individuals from with different skills and from different fields. And from there, uh, it's a amazing things happen. So I'm very excited about it. The, the other thing that I am excited about is a little bit of research I did for these, um, uh, for these real estate, uh, the commercial real estate uh, folks. I was saying, you know, where is the sense? You think about a restaurant. Think about a restaurant or a place that maybe opens at 5, 6 o'clock in the evening. Now, what is the sense in having that space vacant during the day? So many of many restaurants, for example, in New York City are opening themselves up as co-working spaces. You know, not only are they, you know, maybe getting a little bit of, of trade during the day, um, but they, you know, instead of people trying to squeeze themselves into Starbucks or coffee shops or, you know, or, or places, or maybe they can't, I don't know what WeWorks uh, kind of model and pricing policy is, but you know, I mean, somebody might be thinking, "What's well, a bit pricey for me?" Um, so people are looking, I think, at space in a very, very different way, saying, "How can we leverage this, and how can we bring people together in ways that we haven't seen before?" So I think it's a very exciting trend. Yeah, so do I, Liz, I'm, and that's why I'm going to WeWork. I just, I just want to be able to observe it for a year and just see how this works and why people are doing what they're doing and how this this new world of networking and and I think you know it used to be the word about 
communication was important in businesses, but now I'm hearing this word collaboration being spoken of a lot more and you've just beautifully articulated that. I love it when I beautifully articulate. It's always the goal. <laughs> it's quite a change for me in the studio. I don't really get a lot of beautiful articulation working with Robbo, <laughs> but, you know, look, that, let's, not, let's, not, let's not go down that old rabbit hole, that old chestnut. Uh, Liz, you've talked about co-working spaces and, the, and that it's sort of environment is something that excites you. We want, we want the inside scoop here on the Mojo Radio Show. What's one trend that you are just picking up on do you think could be something that you're not hearing spoken of yet that you are curious about, you're following, intrigued by, that you think could be the inside goss of a trend to come? Does one come to mind for you? Yes because my background is in education. And so I am always on the lookout for new ideas that is coming out of that space. Let's face it, if anything needs to be disrupted, it is education. And so um, I'm looking at, there's a place, and it came from France, it's now, I think it's in Palo Alto, and I'm blanking on the name of it. Um, But it's a kind of, uh, college or university, it's a, co- it's a place where kids go to learn coding, but there are no textbooks and there are no teachers or lecturers or professors. Basically, the and, and again, we're going back to this interface between people and their environment. You know, I'm a great believer that when you get smart people, smart, motivated, passionate people, and you provide them with the right environment, frankly, they'll figure it out for themselves. And and this is what's happening with these really innovative kind of new colleges where instead of you know, buying into the, the old system. I mean, my God, I went to graduate school, you know, listening to professors drone on for hours on end, you know what I mean, and scribbling in your notebook. How the hell does anybody learn that way? Uh, you know, so it, it's providing it's providing kids with an opportunity to collaborate, you know, to talk amongst themselves, to try things out, to take risks, to fail, and to and to learn from uh, from that experience, uh, and then emerge into the world not only with a marketable skill, but a whole body of of approaches and you know what they call soft skills and character traits that I think will position them extremely extremely well for the future. So that's one thing really looking at and I would love to see be become more mainstream. It's half time on the Mojo show. And time to pause for a cause. My name's Karen Williams. I'm the founder and CEO of Wink Models and The Right Fit. I would love to give a plug to the Melanoma Foundation. Um, my uncle passed away from melanoma last year and um, it would be incredibly important for me if you could all just go out, first and foremost, go and get your skin checked. It's one of those um, diseases that we all know about but no one actually spends the time to go and go to their doctor or their skin specialist or their dermatologist and get their skin check and it's something that if you catch it too late it is almost impossible to treat so please go out please 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 go and get your skin checked get that dodgy looking mole checked or you may not even know you have one it could be underneath your fingernails or in your hairline so please go and get your skin checked and please if you can make a donation it could make all the difference defining a treatment and a cure for this 
Yeah, horrible, horrible thing. The Mojo Radio Show. I'm going to come back to kids in a second because I just want to close out with the question around the future and children. But just based on what you've just talked about uh, in education, co-working spaces, what you're observing around the world, what's what's the what's one thing that comes to mind for you, Liz, that if a leader doesn't take a hold of, do something about, will bankrupt their business in the next two years? Well, here's something, and it may not be what you're expecting, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it's something that would bankrupt their business, um, but um, back in November, I made a presentation to a group of CFOs, you know, chief financial officers, about the future, about the future of leadership, because one of the things that really concerns me, and and this is the trouble, you know, human beings, we, we most of us are curious, we love surprises, we love new things, but we're a bit like magpies, you know, the, the next bright shiny object comes on and we latch onto it a hundred percent. So my concern is um, around automating way too much. And what I wanted to do was basically put a scare, you know, up these CFOs, basically saying, well, you know, if, if go too far down that track, to be honest with you, the future of leadership could mean that you are out of your a job as well. Because just because you think that artificial intelligence and deep learning applies to everybody under you, quite frankly, and I pointed, I tell you what, this was not a popular talk. <laughs> well, I thought it was great, but you know, if you can't be controversial, like, what's the point? But, you know, it was basically saying, especially people in the financial industry, you know, so much of AI, artificial intelligence and computers have been shown to to be much more successful in, in um, you know, affecting decisions and, and doing uh, things than human beings, than flawed human beings. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I would caution uh, leaders to be, to be wary of, to really be thinking strategically about how they use automation and whether by automating too much, they are moving away from the relationship, the relationship part of business um, and focusing too much on the transactional stuff. See, see, you know, AI, automation is great for the transactions, yeah. you know, I want, I, when I know what I want and I want a decision quickly or I just want to do something transactionally, I'm quite happy to deal with an automated system. But frankly, when things are complicated and when I'm emotionally involved and, you know, all of those other things that make us human, quite frankly, I want to be dealing with a human being. So that's something that I think leaders need to be wary of. And also, if they go too far down the line, they may end up, you know, being automated themselves. Amazon gets spoken of a lot, Liz, in terms of examples of people capitalising on AI and VR and this world you're talking of. And you've spoken about how Amazon write press releases about the future and release them and then use that in order to be able to almost create the future. Can you just explain that story for us about Amazon? Yeah, it, I, it's a great example, really, of the way 
some a way of thinking that is I think is really very innovative. So the idea is they get a group of people together and they imagine a press release of the future where they are releasing a new product or service or what have you. And they don't get bound up by oh is the technology you know here yet. Mm. It, it, it's more kind of creative, uh, let's think of, you know, let, let's think of this ideal and articulate it in a way that would really be attractive to our market. And then so they, they sort of work on all the flaws and, and, you know, all of that good stuff. And then they'll hand it over to their technologists, their engineers and saying, hey, we think this is a great idea. Go make it happen. So it's almost the reverse of, you know, here's the technology and now we develop the products and services and then we issue a press release. They've completely reversed that process. And I think I think it's brilliant. There's so much going on with this, Liz, and we've spoken about a leader, whether it be an individual one-off operator a digital nomad, right through to somebody who leads a big organisation of thousands of people. If somebody hears this interview, buys into what we're talking about, wants to prepare themselves for the future and get on one of these waves ahead of the game, how do I know that I'm future ready? Like is there a, is there a checklist or a, or a question or a couple of questions somebody should ask themselves to know that they are future ready? Well, here's a simple one for you, Gary. And it's, am I a, you know, am am I as an individual, a repository of skills that are marketable as opposed to somebody with a profession? Because I think that's where we're going in the future. You remember me saying to you that artificial intelligence is basically beginning to strip out, not necessarily entire jobs, unless they're very routinized and, uh, you know, manufacturing, um, but they're beginning to replace certain skills. So it's looking for those very human-centered skills and making sure that as an individual, you have enough of them. You know, whether it's, you know, around personal services, you know, an ability to relationship build, all of that kind of stuff. Um, So, and also instead of, you know, we used to, and this is where I think education needs to really change as well, is, you know, we used to think, well, you, you know, you, you learn a body of knowledge and you take all these exams and, and then you have this profession. But I don't think we've ever really unpacked what our jobs involve in terms of specific skills. So I always see myself as being a sort of a, a walking skill set as opposed to somebody with a particular profession because that allows me to be incredibly flexible. You know, I mean, the overarching thing for me has always been communication, which has allowed me to move from all sorts of different industries and companies and and, and makes me, uh, you know, able to maintain, you know, a fairly high standard in a a, a freelance consulting capacity because I don't think of myself, I don't bind myself into this profession, which, let's face it, five years down the line could be completely eradicated and therefore what the hell do you do after that? Yeah, it's going to build on that because hearing you say that and becoming, I like that that idea of being a a repository of learning and new skills and constantly developing and surely 
a part of that and it's something that I have noted about anybody who seems to be ahead of the game, thinking differently and disrupting what we're thinking, preparing for the future. The commonality seems to the they have a an insatiable curiosity and they have this great appetite for new information. However, I, I work in front of a lot of CEOs here in Australia, you know, weekly. And I just find that they they don't have this curiosity. They aren't they aren't asking any questions. They're just exchanging statements or they'll tell you about themselves. They're not interested in you or anything else that's going on. They're not reading, they're not into podcasts. And I find that this curiosity and having an appetite for new information is something that is so powerful, yet a lot of people aren't factoring into their given day or week. Is that something that you are seeing as a trend that we're just too busy being busy? Well, some people are. I mean, the dinosaurs are. I think we are seeing, uh, we're in a moment in time, almost like however many, you know, million years ago when, uh, there, you know, that was that comet or, or something hit the earth and, and certain species were eradicated, never to be seen again. You know, those of us who are preparing for this new world absolutely embrace exactly what you said. You, you know, one of the things that I recently uh, compiled um, it was a, a sort of ebook, if you like. Uh, 40, I went to 40 of my futurist colleagues. Uh, they were in Australia, Canada, Singapore, the UK, the US, and New Zealand. And I asked them uh, what advice they would give to parents about the future of work for their children. And there were three themes. I grouped their answers. You know, they all gave different answers, but I grouped them around three themes. And the three themes were attitude, skills, and contribution. And under the attitude theme, it was curiosity, managing your own learning, you know, proving yourself wrong, changing what I call pre-adaptation, changing ahead of change. You know, don't wait until change hits you around the head and then try and catch up. You need to be changing ahead of change. And here's a big one that I absolutely love and is so rare to find, especially the higher up the hierarchy you go, and that is unlearning. Because you cannot something new unless you unlearn what you already believe. And this goes back to what I said earlier about those, you know, Blockbuster. I mean, I, you know, I'm hoping these, these brands are still relevant in, in Australia, but, you know, Blockbuster, Kodak, Polaroid, um, Blackberry, you know, I mean, there, the history is littered with these companies paying fortunes to these business leaders who are supposed to be visionaries and yet, you know, could, couldn't see what was what was coming within their own company, let alone outside of it. So it's a big, big, big mistake. But hell, you know, you know, some people are just dinosaurs, and I don't know what we can do about that, frankly. Gary, I did a bit of unlearning just last week. <laughs> too, you just leave it too. It's making it too easy for me, mate. I actually unlearned <laughs> that uh, chocolate Tim Tams, the original ones, aren't as good mm-hmm. as the new cherry ones. Ooh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's it's funny because when Liz said that, I went Blockbuster, Polaroid, Blackberry, <laughs> Kodak, and Old Spice. Your old favourite, Old Spice. Oh, hey? Can't go past the Old Spice. Oh, yeah. there you go, <laughs> Liz. Before we 
started recording today with you in Austin, Texas. We were in the studio talking about freelancer.com and we were talking about another program online, amazing crowdsourcing platform called Airtasker, which I happened to use myself yesterday. Robbo and I did the Mojo thought-provoking journal through Kickstarter uh, in October last year and got funded from people all over the world. And it just seems to me that these crowdsourcing, crowdfunding platforms have got a real head of steam up. They're going from strength to strength. And in my mind, you know, anecdotally off the street, I still think that most people aren't familiar with them. What's the future look like for you? What are you seeing based on your observations, learnings, what you're hearing now for crowdfunding and crowdsourcing into the future? Is this going to become a mainstream part of our life? But, you know, here's the thing. You know, we started this conversation talking about how the future always has a footprint in the past. When you're talking about crowdfunding, in a sense, it's it's a bit like what used to happen with creatives, you know, painters and sculptors and, and what have you. Uh, but back in, in medieval and, and later times where they would have a sponsor, you know, with, I mean, maybe it wouldn't be a group of people, um, but in all order for them to be creative and and to explore their passion and to do what they they did best mm-hmm. then you know some some you know rich person would basically fund them for that so it's kind of interesting that the whole crowdfunding is is it's almost like distributed in a way here's here's the issue that i have with that however because i've seen that from the opposite side where people have said you know i'm just not getting anything at all um it, it always seems to me to be one of those chicken and egg situations if you've already got a fairly large platform and a lot of people that believe in you and will buy into what you're doing, uh, then you're able to fund projects like that. But I, I think on the crowdfunding, I think a lot of people have gone into it and been hugely disappointed uh, because they're their projects have never really got off the ground. So I think a lot of it depends on, you know, it, again, it's drawing from what we already understand of you've got to have a pretty good support system in the first place in order to get, you know, um, or, or at least a damn good PR person <laughs> and a really sexy idea in order to be, you know, to be able to get uh, reasonable funding for those kinds of things. But but the crowds particularly you know one of the things that I've often uh, thought would be a terrific platform would be would be a kind of a repository of thinkers because I don't think there's enough thinking goes on in the world and not enough thinking goes on or innovative thinking in business so one of the ideas I had was wouldn't it be great to have a you know a, a, a platform an online platform where companies can put forward a challenge that they have, a project that they have, and have access to, and I'm not talking, you know, university brain of Britain or what have you. I'm I'm talking about, you know, normal people who have a lot of experience and are these curious, unlearning, um, pre-adaptive types who could really bring some new perspective to uh, to, to business challenges. I, I think that – so I'm, I'm a big, big fan of, of uh, crowdsourcing. We're available, Liz. <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
technology. If you need a couple of Aussie bogans that uh, are very streetwise, yeah, we're, uh, we're available, right? You mentioned Ghostbusters before. Uh, who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? Gazza and Robbo. Gazza and Robbo. <laughs> Yippee. Well, Liz, um, we're very conscious of your time. I've got to say I've got a page full of notes here for myself. This has been really enlightening, I think, is probably the best word I'd use for it. It's, it's very refreshing to hear perspectives, different perspectives, and I think what I like the most about our conversation today, Liz, is talking about some of the trends, but more so what I've, I think we've achieved is giving people tools to be a part of this, to get ahead of the waves and to think differently about what may come. And it's the good, the bad and the ugly. We're not always saying it's all, you know, I like that scepticism part you brought into it. And that's the bit that I think is missing a lot today is we see all these trends in these blogs and with people speaking and talking about it, but we don't, we don't get the actual tools that we can put into our own world to capitalise. So thank you so much for your time. It's been a real treat. Well, two final things before, um, before we go. One, I would urge people to, to go to uh, my website, leadingthought.us.com, and go to the blog. They can find that 40 Futurists downloadable ebook. It's free on advice... And it's not just for parents about, you know, the future of work for their kids. To be honest with you, it's damn good advice from all of these international futurists on exactly what you were saying. And then what I would like to finish by saying is this has been an immense joy for me because it is such a it's such a pleasure to be speaking to folks that have actually done their homework and read what I've written and and asked questions based on on that understanding and uh, of what I've already said so I'm immensely grateful to you both for that that's very refreshing and I'd like you know I hope we see more of that in the future as well yeah Gary's just <laughs> learnt, Gary's just learned to read so he's um <laughs> he's he's stretching his boundaries <laughs> I love oh, no. it you're, you're both brilliant Maybe when I move to Malaysia, I'll get a chance to come over to Sydney. I've got lots of uh, friends and uh, colleagues in Sydney, so it'd be great to meet you both. Oh, uh, let's go for coffee. Time. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, do we'll, coffee. Uh, no, we do that. We we have we actually it's, it's interesting, Liz. We have actually have had international guests that we've met through the show that we have actually caught up with a coffee um, here in Sydney when they've been doing their tours for speaking or books or just visiting for holidays. So. Um, that would be a, a great joy. We'd love to do that. We, we know a couple of good coffee joints. Well, that sounds – and I can always track you down at WeWork as well, can't I? And you know what? <laughs> yeah, well, That's I'm right. moving in there next week. I'm actually pretty excited, to be honest, just to see what's there, Liz. Well, great. And the conversations, as I say, you know, and the people that you're going to meet, you just never know, you know, those kinds of conversations with somebody who under normal circumstances you would never have met and it could generate all sorts of amazing ideas. You'd, well, they say, the, the Aussie saying, Liz, is you never, ever know if you never, never go. <laughs> <laughs> I love I'm, I am a repository of oh. learning and skills. Booyah, <laughs> touchdown. Yeah, unfortunately, he's wearing happen. a bikini as he does that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you Thank you so much. Thanks, Liz. We will put your details into the show notes and uh, we'll keep in touch and look forward to uh, to catching up with you in person sometime down the track. That's fantastic. Thanks, Robbo. Thanks, Gaz. Hi, this is Rodney from Chili Bomb. Our sources are hot, but the Mojo Radio Show is certainly not. Ecstasy. 
There's a bit we can learn from that, isn't there? We've got a UK citizen living in the United States, moving to Southeast Asia and talking about futurism. Yeah, that show was jam-packed. That was a good, um, that was a really interesting look at futurism because it's spoken about a lot. But the thing I liked, as I said to Liz at the end of the interview, is that there's usable, practical things that somebody can can write down their journal and get after. So um, I thought that was terrific. I, I was I was delighted to have Liz on the show. Mm. And I've got the perfect playout song. Can I just say? Mm. Because I'm feeling we, have, posi- we haven't discussed this. So what is it? I reckon we've got to play a bit of Timbuk Three. Who Tim? Who who's Timbuk Three? Timbuk Three. <laughs> you know the one. This one. The future's so bright. I've got to wear shades. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of the Blues Brothers. Uh, yeah, good playout song. All right, let's go for it. We're out. I study nuclear science. I love my classes. I got a crazy teacher who wears dark glasses. Things are going great and they're only getting better. I'm doing all right, getting good grades. The future's so bright. I gotta wear shades. I gotta wear
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.